Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode Number 18. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you're an author needing to polish your book or even just write it in the first place, or you need coaching and help to launch your staggering work of genius, check out the services at BookLaunchMentor.com. Just uh, very soon, next couple of days, we'll be having our first mentoring intensive where people are going to be working on their staggering works of genius. And I'm really excited about that. I'll report back to it once I've completed the week and we have launched some new authors. So I'm grateful that uh, my other side of me, the side that trains authors, can sponsor this episode. So today I am welcoming my friend Anna Smith, or Anna Smith, I should say. I just talked to someone named Anna, so I, I'm in the Anna mood, but her name is Anna Smith. And she is actually from, she's not from around here, you'll notice that by her accent, but she has an interesting accent because she's lived in a couple different places. So I'll let her talk to you about that. But she has a story, a prodigal story that I think is familiar to a lot of us. And whether we have been a prodigal or we've loved a prodigal, I think you'll be encouraged just to see the means by which God went to to win her back to himself. And he did that through some pretty traumatic, hard times. And yet I'm just so grateful for her restory. So I'm so excited for you to meet my friend, Anna. So listen away. Hey, everyone. This is Mary at The Restory Show, and I'm really excited today to have Anna Smith with me. She does not live in the USA. I'll let her tell you a little bit more about where she's from and where she lives right now. But Anna, thanks so much for coming on The Restory Show today. Uh, It's my pleasure and honor to do so. And you'll hear in her voice that she's got kind of an interesting accent. When I first met her, I'm like, where is that from? Because she had, well, go ahead, Anna, tell us a little bit about where you were raised and bring us up to speed about just that kind of stuff. Um, Well, I was born in uh, Dunedin in New Zealand to Kiwi parents into a a family of that stage of uh, three children, which later became uh, six children. Wow. Um, Yeah. And when I was four, my parents moved to Germany. They felt called by God to go there. They had very little funds and just kind of packed everything up. And we lived in a camper van for the first six months in Germany. And my dad ended up starting up a church there. It began as a house group that turned into a church. And um, yeah, we were there for six years. So until I was almost 10 years old. And yeah, so I grew up with faith as well. And I was incredibly close to God because I saw him uh, do some amazing things while my parents were in Germany. They basically lived month uh, by month um, in faith that God would provide um, financially for them because they they had nothing. (laughs) And God just kept turning up and gifting things to them. And we were even able to go on holidays because uh, we were given gifts of, of money to enable that. And when they needed, desperately needed something like to, yeah, to um, put a down payment on their, um, on their house for, um, to rent it, because they had to pay two months worth plus a bond and they just could not afford that. And that all of a sudden just on that day showed up. 
in an envelope. They later found out who it was from, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a secret at the time. <laughs> yeah, but God, uh, yeah, God knew their needs and uh, yeah, provided each time. So yeah, I had a pretty strong faith as a as a kid too because of what I saw uh, God do in my family's uh, lives. That's yeah. amazing. So it, you definitely had a cross-cultural experience until 10. And then did you return back to New Zealand? Yeah, well, just before we moved back to New Zealand, um, my parents adopted a little boy in Romania. Um, I was privileged also to go with them on several occasions because my dad um, with the church was doing aid trips there. And we, as kids, got to go with him on occasion. And so we also met my little brother in the orphanage where we adopted him from. And I also met his birth parents and birth brothers and sisters. Yeah, and that was, for me, an incredible eye-opener because the poverty there was just Oh, it was just awful. And as a little kid, seeing that when you come from, you know, even though my parents didn't have a huge amount of money, we still had a real house and still like running water and just all these things you take for granted. And as a kid, I just remember looking at the place where his birth parents lived with their five other children. And I was just, I was just gobsmacked at how awful it was. And I saw these rows upon rows of little kids in the orphanage rocking backwards and forwards and kids put in a separate room who were AIDS babies who basically were just left there. And it was just, uh, I was just in tears. <laughs> and yeah, so we got to take one of these little bubbies back home with us. It was a long process um, that we eventually got him when he was 15 months old. We started the adoption process quite some time beforehand, but it took several months to finally uh, take him home. And then we moved to back to New Zealand about two weeks after we finally had the adoption cleared. So that was, yeah, quite a rush and also for my parents. Yeah, and uh, my dad went straight into a teaching or a, a teaching and principal position of a, of a small Christian school with all sorts of, uh, yeah, issues of its own. And, <laughs> and mum had the six kids and then she was called upon to teach at dad's school because there weren't enough teachers to fill gaps. She taught maths and had six kids to raise and do all the household chores and and yeah and my little brother were just uh, he wasn't coping and my parents didn't know and weren't told much and perhaps perhaps it was a different time back then and you didn't really understand um, how much trauma little kids like that mm -hmm. go through how much they carry with them and he was just yeah it was really hard for mum especially because she was at home with him um, a lot of the time and she just tried so hard. Um, Try, this is the way she put it, she tried to love him because mm. for her the bonding process hadn't been the same as with us kids either, so that was a struggle. And um, and he just kept rebelling, kept, uh, yeah, as a little kid, and it just grew and grew and grew in proportions. And, um, yeah, my parents just really struggled. They didn't know what to do, and they had seen other adopted kids turn to crime, and that was what they saw would happen if they, uh, if they didn't do something. And they felt that their best um, – yeah, method of stopping awful things from happening also for my brother was to discipline him, um, yeah, physically discipline mm. him. And they yeah, also felt it was biblically uh, something that they were called to do. So it was done in the name of God as well. And I saw that. And, yeah, from quite a young age, God um, has given me this, yeah, which is a, a gift but also a burden <laughs> to feel the pain in people. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know where the pain's coming from, but I sense it. And with my brother, I really did. And I really tried to – I actually tried a lot to take him out of the house for my mom as well because I saw how stressed she was. And I knew the more stressed she got, the more likely it was that he was also going to be physically punished because he then would – it would just exacerbate things. 
So um, there's a lot of tension in that. And my parents, you know, they were doing the best they could. They were stressed. They, yeah, and they thought they were doing the right thing by him. Um, but as a, yeah, as a preteen and then teenager watching that happen, when I knew that he was aching inside and all he really needed was for somebody to pick him up and just hug him when he was being awful. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's some awful things, but I, yeah, I just saw that and, and, and I thought, and I tried to stop my parents. And of course, yeah, parents who are trying to discipline children, they don't want then the other <laughs> siblings saying, hey, uh, I don't sure. think you're doing this right. <laughs> they, yeah, they kind of um, sent me away again. And um, as soon as I could, I tried to then find him in his room afterwards and comfort him and, and yeah, during the time that he was taken away, I mean, I heard what was going on, and I just felt so paralyzed. And and this, this, yeah, the stupid thing is that I, I always, yeah, I don't know how that works as kids, but you really idolize your parents, and they become they become God for you, especially in a in a in a faith filled home. I think you know, and then you see they're doing something in the name of God, and you see that as God. God is punishing a child who is hurting, and then you just learn yourself. Or I did. I just tucked my hat away and just didn't didn't share anything anymore I just kind of hid I hid in books I didn't um didn't tell my parents all the stuff that was going I didn't understand it either I just became more and more petrified of God and didn't have anything to do with God because I thought I wasn't good enough for him I thought I could never ever be good enough because like any person you realize pretty quickly you can't uh you can't live a life without sin and for me about every yeah, every little sin became huge for me, and I couldn't do anything with it because I felt there was no grace because I watched what my parents did with my brother, and I thought that was God. That that's how God looked. Yeah, looked at 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 his children, and I thought if that's the case, then there's no no hope for me. <laughs> mm. And so you kind of made a a conscious decision, or it probably wasn't very conscious, it's probably more subconscious of, I'm going to turn my back on the Lord just because he freaks me out and scares me because I'm seeing this kind of love demonstrated and it's it's not what, it was. do you think it was like an expectation? It was a gradual thing and I don't think I even really understood what was going on. Sure, sure. Um, now looking back, I do, I do really strongly know what went on. I mean, there's there's a verse that like yeah really explains everything to me is Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Because what the enemy used with me was lies that had been spoken into me as a child. Also in my time in Germany, um, there were yeah this feeling of not belonging because I had kids who just one day one kid just looked at me and said, um, why don't you just go back where you came from? Wow. And there's always this feeling that I just didn't quite belong. And that's the feeling I had when I stepped into the church um, that yeah, my parents attended with us. Each time I kind of felt like God uh, was going to use a person there to turn the finger at me and say, you don't really belong here. What are you doing here? You're just a hypocrite. And that's what I felt going to church. So I hated going to church. And then as soon as I could, I, yeah, I was kind of scared to do this, but I eventually, um, I, Stopped my studies in the in the midst of it as my my parents were moving up north um, for my dad's uh, new position at a, a different school and it was right in the midst of my studies in university and so I decided to finish off that year of study and then head overseas um, to Germany to become an au pair and I was only just going to do it for a year but the intention was really I think um, without really realizing it I was fleeing God in that as well 
because I was further away from my parents, further away from eyes on me, and the eyes on me felt like, yeah, rejection. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense in retrospect and, and even yeah. during the time. And, you know, we all have our stories. We look back and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that or I wish I hadn't done this. But, but at the time, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, but God, yeah, he works everything into good. He re- and he he really did with everything. It's just stunning all the all the. And I just now when I look back, I see that he protected me at each step. That he placed me in loving environments because um that year in Germany was just it was beautiful. I had the most amazing host parents, um and the kids I looked after were just yeah really lovely kids and and I ha- and then I had another three months in Switzerland and that's where I met my um now husband and my dutch husband <laughs> yes so how did you meet each other well it was at a christmas party um for au pairs and interns at a yeah at a company there and they're all um engineering students so obviously a lot of engineering students are guys and au pairs are girls and <laughs> had, what a fun party <laughs> great party idea yeah to bring these two groups together i don't even know who it was i was just invited by somebody else to go along um that i'd only just met because I'd only just arrived about a few weeks before, and so had my um, husband, or, you know, not then husband, but so, yeah, and he, he just fell in love, uh, yeah, the moment he met me, told me later. <laughs> so he just he just kind of he, uh, pursued, <laughs> and I had no intention of, of starting anything because I was heading back to New Zealand to finish my studies, but it just kind of grew from there, and then I had this decision, and it was like either I give this relationship a chance or I don't, um, and I felt by going back home I gave it no chance because you can't get to know somebody over just letters. At least that's what I felt. So then I uh, arranged an exchange program to finish off my studies in Germany uh, and then uh, headed to the Netherlands after that to join him. And uh, I think what, what I now look at is like my mum prayed over me that that um, I would have a, a that a, somebody who really loves me um, yeah, become my husband. And um, when she came to see me, she was really worried about this whole relationship and me going off to the Netherlands, obviously, sure, sure. <laughs> with this person she didn't even know. And then she came to visit us and then she just looked at me and she said, I'm not worried anymore. I see that my prayers have been answered. He really, really loves you. And I see, yeah, I see a lot of God in him too. He doesn't believe in God, but I, I see God in him. <laughs> and just that unconditional love, I know for me and my husband, I think I've learned more about the Lord's love through his kindness and love and compassion. So I can see how that works out. And so did he, I'm guessing you spoke at this time, you spoke English and German. Did you also speak Dutch? Yeah, we talked English in the beginning and also with his parents. But I learned Dutch pretty quickly because of my German. It meant that when I arrived there, um, I could actually just pick up a newspaper and I could read and understand it. Speaking was more of a struggle also because I sounded German. I would walk into stores and try to speak in Dutch to them and they would revert to German with me. <laughs> so, but I had, I went uh, to a, an intensive uh, Dutch course um, when I first arrived uh, during the summer at the University of Amsterdam and the lady was just fantastic and I learned it really quickly through her help and because she just decided to only speak Dutch to us from the word go. And it was a class, but it, yeah, it was perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Day in, day out, four, yeah, four days a week, uh, every morning till about 12 uh, in, yeah, in Dutch. And I'd come home and we'd have homework as well. So it would be, yeah, like a full week of just Dutch. And so do you speak in your home now? A mishmash. <laughs> yeah. Do your, kids, and English. Do your children yeah. speak English? 
Yeah, Emily speaks it really well. Lizzie a little bit, but she understands everything. Because like when Dad comes, um, Emily will, will revert to English with Dad. Uh, she still sounds Dutch, but <laughs> she talks English. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you must have gotten married. So uh, how old were you when you got married? Yeah, I got married in 2008. So let me see how old was Eight I years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'd been together for quite some years because we got together in 2002, February 2002. We decided that we'd, yeah, wanted to start a relationship with each other. So, yeah, we lived together for quite some time too. And all, all those steps, it's funny, all those steps are really difficult for me. Like, um, cause I, I felt I was doing the wrong thing. But it was the only love I felt that was turned towards me. Not that, yeah, I I knew my parents loved me. Don't get that, yeah, me wrong with that. But there was there was a, there was a wall between us that had to do with the fact that yeah, I didn't trust God, and um, so I couldn't receive. I couldn't really receive love from from Christians. Christians just irritated me as well. Even though like I stayed friends with my best friend of now more than twenty years. She's known me since I was twelve. And she's she's prayed all the all the way through for me, and she kept loving me, and and we stayed friends. But it was really hard when I wasn't a believer, because there was, and we both felt it, a real wall between us. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But she never gave up. She kept praying, and she had some yeah some of her prayers answered very specifically. So <laughs> it's amazing how God Which works. Is- a huge encouragement to the listeners because, you know, I think everybody has someone in their life they're praying for that's far from God. And, and many of us have, you know, people in our lives who have known the Lord and walked away. And there's people in various stages or people have been away from the Lord their whole lives. And you pray for five, 10, 15, 20 years. And you've wondered, do these prayers matter? Is it hitting the ceiling? Is it getting to the Lord? So it's really encouraging. Because there is a good, hard, but good ending to the story. So bring us up to speed to the story. I had this friend um, who I only knew through a mommy's group online. And she was a Christian. And I was in contact with her a lot. And it was really funny how that worked. Because, um, yeah, she really bugged me yeah, yeah, in a, in a big way because I got more and more angry and I didn't, couldn't explain it because she was so nice to me. <laughs> right around that time that I was getting getting more and more angry and I couldn't explain it with her, I had – I was super depressed as well. I had just had my second um, child and um, she didn't sleep much at all. And I had insomnia through my pregnancy as well. And I worked at a school and I'd only just um, got my diploma for uh, teaching English, high school English. And so I was just, I was exhausted, a mess, and uh, trying to just kind of hold everything together. And in the middle of that time, I got a call from dad and he, and he said to me, mum's in hospital. She has um, brain tumors. You might want to consider coming home. And then he called up like the next day and he said, they're going to operate next Thursday. Um, and there's a chance, good chance she won't be able to speak anymore or it could be even worse than that. So my husband, um, in the meantime, had already been trying to find uh, flights for me and we didn't know what to do because I have two girls at that age. They, they were one and three years old. And I couldn't leave Livy, who was one behind, and I, Emily, who was three, I only um, had ever left her behind for one night at Open Oma's at her, yeah, at Ruben's parents' place. So the thought of leaving her behind was awful too, but I knew that if I, if I wanted to be of any help to mum, and if I wanted to even just cope myself, I couldn't take both children by myself. My husband had to keep working. He couldn't just, you know, take off. 
So I went by myself with my my one-year-old, then one-year-old, just turned one actually a few days, uh, yeah, about a week and a half earlier. And uh, yeah, that was a real grace of God as well. My sister had only just come to stay for about three months off and on when she was traveling Europe. She'd come back each time. So she had really gotten to gotten real close to Olivia, my one-year-old. So she spent a lot of time looking after Olivia when I was there um, with mum as well. And for her, that was a real peace thing as well because she couldn't bear to physically help mum because it was just too hard. She was mum's baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so she would look after Olivia um, and I would help um, physically with mum. We went through about mum was diagnosed um, in November in 2013 and she passed away April 8th of um, 2014. Wow, that's very, very fast. Yeah, yeah, very, very fast. And during that time, it was really funny because I had this time where, um, yeah, my husband had come over in between with Emily a couple of times, actually. His, yeah, his boss was really great about that. And he had, we actually had a holiday booked to go away with my parents during the time that mum was receiving um, treatment. She was going under radiation therapy six days a week. And my husband was like, I still want us to go away. And I was like, I was just like, I can't go away. I can't go away in the midst of this. But he's like, he put his foot down. He said, no, you really, you need to go away for a bit as well. So we went away for a few days to this holiday house that we'd booked to stay with my mom. And I was walking there with my youngest, trying to get her to sleep in the buggy because she was just being really fussy. And I, I was walking around the mountains and, and looking down below at the lake. And it was just like this unbelievable, palpable peace kind of descended upon me. And I just broke, I burst into tears because I've been holding all this tension, all this grief in my body that I couldn't release. And it was like God's peace came upon me and it was like, wow, is this, is this you? You know, (laughs) is this what you're like? And it was just, and I didn't know what to do with it. And then in the last few weeks that I was caring for my mum um, physically, I felt that same peace, not on her, on me, but on her. And it was just unbelievable. She, it went, it got worse and worse. She couldn't, she couldn't, at a certain point, couldn't speak anymore. She couldn't swallow anymore, couldn't even wink anymore. It just got worse and worse and worse. But the peace of God upon her was just powerful. And I went home to the Netherlands after she passed away and I'm like, I want some of this peace. <laughs> I want what she had. <laughs> and this is unbelievable. And I thought, is this possible? So I picked up the I picked up all these books on grace. And they were a lot of them were just testimonies of people, you know. And I read them and I was like, Oh my goodness. He you know, there's grace for me, even for me. <laughs> And so I gave my I gave my life back to God and I and I started going back to church and I and I really thought, you know, and I still didn't understand. I still didn't understand why I had turned away from God and why I had such a such a warped understanding of grace because I didn't yet didn't connect it to my past. Didn't really understand it at all. And then in December, I I'd gone straight back into teaching after coming back and us burying mum. And I, yeah, I threw myself back into everything, even in believing in God. And I, and I had this warped idea as well that I was doing what God wanted me to do, you know, doing good works for him. I was, you know, being a teacher and loving kids and, and helping them. And I was getting more and more and more and more exhausted, just physically exhausted. And I couldn't explain it. And then I got to the point where I was like, God, 
I can't do this anymore, but but I think you want me to stay there, but how am I to do this? If you if it's okay to go, will you show me? And I opened my Bible three times, yeah, because I'm stubborn and I don't believe it the first time. <laughs> three times because I prayed and I said, show me in your word, and I opened the Bible. And three each of those verses that I looked upon when I opened my Bible kind of said, let go and, you know, let and, and enter God's rest and things like that. And then – and then I still didn't believe it. I said, yeah, but I need more than this, God. I need real. <laughs> <laughs> Three times is not <laughs> enough. <laughs> and then I get this email within seconds from that one friend who I talked about earlier um, who I'd been in contact with who I've never actually met physically. And she sent me an email and she said, I, yeah, I've, I'm suddenly realizing that I need to surrender all to enter God's rest. And I read that and I'm like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so I did. And I had the most beautiful period of rest. I even went back home for my brother's wedding in New Zealand with all of us, which wouldn't have been possible if I'd kept working because I couldn't get the time off. I had a new position and everything. So it was a really wonderful time. But during that time, my grief just intensified because we went back home to where mum, I'd cared for mum, our family home, and all these memories came back. And I didn't know what to do with it because it's just I had learned, I didn't realize this, I had learned not to deal with emotions, to suppress them, to numb them away, to keep myself busy, not to have to deal with it. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I came back to the Netherlands after being there and after feeling that grief. And it was nearing my birthday, which is, yeah, you often think of your mum on your birthday. And then I I, um, I was following uh, Margaret Feinberg's blog because I had read uh, one of her books. And in her blog, she talked about how you could write a biblical lament. And um, I sat down and wrote a biblical lament. And it was like all the things that had been stuffed inside started pouring out. And I still didn't know what to do with it. But that's what then triggered, or at least the, I see a connection between that. The, the, that's when I really started getting the symptoms of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Because I started having flashbacks of my mum's last hours on earth and just an incredible helplessness and despair and and really believing like God was out to hurt and wipe people off the face of the earth. And I remember I just I put this verse on my fridge, um, you know, neither angels nor demons nor, you know, like nothing can separate us from God's love from and from Romans. And I put that on on my fridge and I remember my husband looking at me saying, isn't that just a bit over the top? Do you, you know, do you really, you know, should we keep that there? Isn't that just a bit much? And I looked, I remember looking at him and, and just point blank saying to him, no, I need that. I need that. Because day in, day out, I was reading that verse over and over and over and over again. Because all my emotions said to me, kill yourself. I'd wake up and it was just like, and it would, but I would come back to my rational senses and then I would be ashamed because I would think I have a beautiful family. I have a husband who adores me, who loves me, who cares for me. I have beautiful children. Why would I want to take my own life? And then I would have this shame covering me. And so I didn't dare tell anybody just how bad it was either. I would let little things drop and I would try to kind of seek help and actively. And people had no idea just how bad it was. And then one night I, I just said to God, I, I just sat, I was just sitting in my lounge in the middle of the night and I got really angry at God. And I said, said if you, I, I don't want to live anymore. I said, you show me that it's worth living because I sure as hell don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I opened my Bible and I read um, this scripture 
and I, and I have the message Bible and that's just an incredible blessing of God because every other uh, version of the Bible doesn't say it in, in the same way. And this particular verse basically said that, yeah, everyone the Father gives to Jesus um, it will be held t- tight and be made whole and upright to stand uh, before the Father at the end of time. And I read that and the idea of being held tight because um, when I was writing like the biblical lament, one of the things I said is I'm just I'm just a numb. Uh, I go from one extreme to the other with emotions, and all I really want is just crawl up onto somebody's lap and be mm. held. Mm. Mm. And so that verse is what that said. It said, "I'm holding you tight, and I'm not letting you go." That's the way the message version puts it. And then the word "whole," the idea that he was going to restore uh, both me. But most importantly, my mum into wholeness again, because what I saw in the flashbacks was her broken body. It was, it was awful because her body just, it was, yeah, I can't explain it, but it was just horrendous. So, and because I bathed her, that was something I decided I would do. I did it day in, day out with the hospice nurses. And then you really see just what happens to the body. And I mean, my mum aged within a matter of weeks from vibrant, uh, exuberant. She was just like full of zest for life. Mum has always been, you know, she's just really bubbly personality. My sister Lizzie's a lot like her. Just, when she enters a room, you know, you just, it's just, she lights up a room. <laughs> and that was then just pulled apart by cancer, just awful. So, yes, the peace of God was on her. That remi- remained there, but physically, she just deteriorated awfully. And I saw that from really co- close quarters because I chose to care for her physically, which I did because I just remember thinking, you've done so much for us, Mum. It's about time somebody did something for you. <laughs> so how did you get to the place where, I mean, now you're able to say PTSD and you're basically able to say, you know, panics and depression and all that. How did you kind of realize that was what was going on and and how did God help you get to the next stages of healing? Well, I think that that night was really vital for me to trust just that little bit more in God. And it was like, I'm pretty sure it was the next day or maybe a couple of days later that I then called our family doctor, made an appointment to be assessed. My husband knew things were going on because he actually, before I was diagnosed, suggested that I had PTSD because he had looked up things online. Yeah. <laughs> he said, do you realize what you went through with your mum, he said, is what what veterans go through, but they go through it with strangers in front of them. You went through it with your mum. And he said, he's he's just an amazing guy, really, really loving and supported me through it all. But human support just wasn't enough. (laughs) I needed more. And so I went into into therapy. Um, I had to wait six – I was on a waiting list for six weeks. Well, actually, it was longer than that because I had to be assessed at different points and and referred to this person and that person. So it was probably about a good couple of months that I was waiting. And in that waiting, the, yeah, the symptoms just got worse and worse. And I have, it was a battle to stay alive. And, uh, but God, yeah, God graciously provided, kept providing. And I got to the day of my therapy and I um, read that very morning. I was reading through the whole uh, Old Testament and I was up to Song of Songs too. Typical God. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was basically, he was basically telling me, he said, you know, it's really awful now, but what I'm promising you is just freedom, release, and beauty, and love, and that's what's that's what's awaiting you. That was the morning I went to therapy. And I remember just uh, biking to my therapy session uh, and just praying to God and saying, please give this therapist your wisdom. She wasn't a Christian. I knew that. And people kept advising me not to go to somebody who didn't believe in God. But I just kept feeling like God was saying, I have prepared this in advance. Trust me. I can work through whoever I want to work through. And she did, um, yeah, EMDR therapy um, with me. Uh, and, yeah, during that therapy, she basically just gets you to recall the, your most stressful memories. And during those most stressful memories, you know, she, she gets me to kind of describe what I see. And it was just stunning because God entered my memories um, in yeah, in the form of of himself, yeah, in in Jesus, I saw, I literally saw, felt, and heard Jesus enter my most traumatic memories, also of my childhood with my little brother. And um, the several things I saw, one of the first things was that he he beckoned me to come sit with him, um, and he held me tight, and he said to me, "I want you to get angry." I want you to kick and scream and throw a ten temper tantrum like your girls do. <laughs> and I just want you to get angry. And he said, and I am going to hold you tight through it. And so I did. I, I saw myself as a little girl screaming and kicking and just letting go of all the stuff that I had pent up inside that I didn't even realize I had pent up inside. Later I realized that I had been carrying around tension in my body for months um, and the crazy thing is that during this, yeah, that time that he was holding me tight, I actually literally felt the tension in my body release. And the, the several days after that, it was just, it was amazing how I just felt, yeah, I just felt so relaxed, like, because I didn't realize that my muscles were tensed all this time, like I was on edge, like, I, yeah, I was living in fear. All this time, you know, not not the twenty odd years that I'd fled God, but those months of being living with PTSD. It was like my body was held captive by something and had to be released from it. And it was released by Jesus helping me to feel. I had I had kind of unlearned, or how do you say that? I had stopped uh, being able to express my emotions. I, I would just want to say I have not had EMDR, but I have heard and read amazing things about it. And I know a lot of Christian therapists do it as well. And it's a really effective therapy for trauma victims. And I do believe that, you know, God made our bodies in such a way that EMDR is just a way of, it's not voodoo or anything like that. It's a way of reframing your past, uh, recalling a memory, and then having it no longer have its power over you anymore. Because I know that some people would think it's like hypnosis or something, but it's not it, at it's all. Not. I, was, I was aware of everything going on, and she didn't suggest anything. All she just kept asking me was to describe what I was seeing, to describe how I was feeling, to describe how my body felt. But nothing, nothing was suggestive in what she did. I was fully awake and aware, but I saw Jesus enter these things. And as she explained to me, what happens is when you experience a traumatic memory, what happens is the brain literally freezes that memory and it needs to be unfrozen, needs to be broken open for truth to enter all the lies that are holding you captive. Because what happens is 
all the things that have fed into you as a yeah as a child that you haven't broken away by yeah the, the word of God, the truth of God, they get connected to emotions, are connected to emotions. And so when you experience something traumatic, it's like that freezes. And that means every time you experience something that triggers similar emotions to what you experienced during that time. And for me, the trigger was helplessness because PTSD came on when I was caring for my sick uh, family. They only had the flu, but I felt the same helplessness that I had with mum. Like I couldn't do anything to make them better. And it's just, it was just, that's something that I really learned through all the, the PTC therapy and everything it, that I was, I was trying to hold tight to control. And I had to release control into God's safe arms, but I needed to be able to trust Him. And I, I always thought of trust as being something that we kind of garner up ourselves. But what it is, is that we, God teaches us to be safe in His arms. He's the one who, yeah, who who shows us that he is trustworthy, who reveals himself to us when we cry out to him, and then he enables us to let go and to surrender. Also, and now I, I spend a lot of time with people who have been through similar things, not the same things, but similar things. Um, one of my really good friends is that she's a refugee and she's been through horror, just horror. And we talk a lot about stuff. And one of the things that we, yeah, we share a lot about is just our struggle of wanting to wanting to be strong and and also getting these lies fed to us in our head like we need to be strong for God. He wants us to be strong because mm-hmm. we're we're in the battle here, you know, daily. <laughs> and and then I yeah, I just one night I because I even had that spoken over me, you've got lots of spiritual battles coming up at, you know, at church and and this guy and then he said you need to cling to Jesus and I was just I was in tears and I came home um and and I just I sat in my living room and I said to God I said I can't fight anymore I've had enough of fighting I can't and I literally saw this this uh, vision of this this really tall big man behind me with his hands on my shoulders saying to me I am your strength you don't have to do anything I am fighting your battles let go. <laughs> And it was just that reminder, but I had constantly have that problem thinking, thinking I have to be strong, you know, and and that's something that God's just been teaching me time and time again through the struggles is let go and let me fight. And so you definitely had a journey back to the Lord and you got to kind of had the privilege of confronting some of the things or at least understanding why all this happened. Where are you today? So that was like three years ago. In the aftermath of kind of all this realization, where are you with the Lord now? And, you know, what has he taught you? I'm learning that, yeah, that faith or, yeah, working out our salvation is something we do in fear and trembling. I always, I always thought um, that the best idea is if you, if you had, yeah, if you experience fear, then it mustn't be of God, you know. Then you steer clear of that. But I'm actually learning that we do work out our salvation in fear and trembling because uh, where the enemy sows fear is where God wants to bring blessing. So by stepping into the fear, we step into His blessing and we step into His protection and we step into His perfect love that drives out all fear. But it doesn't mean that we don't experience fear because, as He says in His Word, we actually work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So I've been learning to step into things that I'm terrified of and yeah, and seeing Him show up. But it's 
it's a battle and there are there are still days like even just yesterday I'd I'd been stepping out a lot in faith recently and and I just I said to God I can't be who you want me to be I can't do this so because it feels like I don't even know if I'm doing what you want me to do and then it was just that he had about three separate things I had happen to me where it was just so obvious that God was in this and that he, he that I was walking in his path um, for me that I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps doing that every single time I keep saying to him I can't do this anymore he keeps coming and strengthening me but I've got to I've get, got to get to the point where I just yeah I just have to kind of give that to him and say look um in my weakness lord you are strong and and you are the one who strengthens me to yeah to work out my salvation in fear and trembling and you are the one who then blesses through that because the most amazing thing that i've seen is just just the timing of god opening me to faith and all the people he's put around me to speak blessing into and um and through through seeing God work in their lives by using me, he's then in turn encouraging me in my faith because he shows me it is all about in our weakness he is strong because all these people around me who are suffering just majorly are experiencing the nearness and the beautiful love and protection and comfort of God in the most awful of things where you would think, where are you, God? But he's right there. You know, it's just it's powerful. I was just saying that this morning to my friend because she was like, oh, just thank you so much and oh, you're just so sweet and oh, and I looked at her and I said, I hope you realize that you are a powerful blessing in my life too because it's just so amazing to see God show up because I'll say things to her and I'll give her verses or scriptures, but there are things that God puts on my heart to give her and it's always like in perfect timing but it's not that I, I don't know these things you know I don't I don't have the wisdom I just I just keep seeking God and saying look she's hurting give me something for her and it was and each time he gives me something that's just incredible for what she's going through and I don't even necessarily know exactly what she's going through but God does and it's just it's just powerful how he works so it's such an encouragement to me as well it's uh you're you're realizing the reality of the Lord not only through your how He meets you but how He meets others. It's it's beautiful. So the um, last couple of questions I have one is what kind of advice would you give to someone who's maybe going through a traumatic event right now? I don't want to limit it to just caring for someone who's dying, although that's de definitely traumatic. But what kind of what kind of counsel would you give someone who's experiencing trauma? that it's okay to be angry and that it's okay to be in tears a lot and that God doesn't expect us to be strong or to trust in our own strength, but just to, yeah, just to be who we are. And sometimes that is a complete and utter mess and that's okay and that's okay. And don't dare let anybody tell you that you have to be strong and that you shouldn't be crying because if you had true hope, you wouldn't be crying when you lose somebody. I've had people say things like this to me in the midst of just trauma, and it was the worst thing out. But I've also had people who have invited themselves over. I had this woman I hardly knew 
from a Bible study and she invited herself over and she listened to my story and she was crying through it. And then she told me a story of losing a really dear friend of hers who was murdered as a missionary overseas. And she shared how even she now has days where she struggles with that. And she says, she told me, was honest with me, and she said, I was angry at God super angry and, and there are days I still I don't understand it and she she was so brutally honest with me and it gave me permission to be angry and 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 one of, that's one of the things my therapist said to me as well when you're angry at somebody it doesn't mean you don't love them in fact I would I would actually wait to say if you if you dare to be angry with somebody you do actually really love them because you dare to show your true self to them and with God, that's the same, you know. And unless we really get angry with God or really get upset with God or really throw our true, true feelings to him, he can't, he can't enter that and give us the hope, the peace, the comfort, because if we don't show that to him, we're not letting him into those places in our hearts. Exactly. And he knows that we have those feelings anyway, as even though we might try to be oppressing or suppressing them. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like you're pulling the wool over God's eyes by pretending it doesn't exist. He sees everything anyway, but we have this human inclination. And I think it's, yeah, of, of just kind of thinking we can't go there because we're, you know, we've got to be good Christians. We've got to be that's why one of my you know one of my favorite people was is Kara Tippett's. Um, yeah, when she was when she was dying of cancer, just how brutally honest she was. And, and and just watching what she said and it was like the first for the first time because she she was dying and and near death not long after I lost my own mum and so I'd just come back to faith and and it was like for the first time I saw a Christian be brutally honest and I was like wow this is possible too you know and that really helped me to become brutally honest with God as well so God yeah God uses everybody yeah even in the most awful of circumstances like yeah Kara I mean I, I can't imagine going through what she went through for her family but God is so present in those situations it's unbelievable but we've got to be yeah we've got to be prepared to kind of say we're a mess and we don't believe you and we don't trust you and we and we're angry at you and and yeah, but that's when he gives us our faith because faith is a gift and trust is a gift that he gives us. All he expects for us to do is just come to him and say, look, I need you, God. <laughs> I desperately need you, God, day in, day out, minute by minute. I need you. <laughs> so you probably have kind of answered this, but maybe there's one more nuance to this. But how has God given you a new story or restoried you in the past year? Learning that I can just be be before God. I'm a real busy doer. I want to do everything and I want to do everything for everybody else and I want to protect everybody else and I want to and God just keeps saying to me, just be. Just be. Just sit at my feet and be. And in that being, I'm able then to do beautiful things for others. But it's in being in him, sitting at his feet, pouring out tears when I pray for others and it's then that he then speaks to me and gives me words of encouragement for others. And then that encourages me. So <laughs> it's a beautiful cycle, yeah. isn't it? So I think that's the restoring and yeah, teaching me to be. And it's still a daily process. Yes. So I'm not all perfect now, no way. Like I said, even, even just yeah, yesterday and the day before, just being in tears before him. It's just like constant battle to then just be myself before him. Because I keep on hearing these lies being fed to me, you know, you've got to be strong and you're not trusting enough and why can't you just let go and, you know. 
So yeah, it's it's a daily uh, <laughs> process. Well, I knew, I knew that I wanted you to share your story. Uh, you and I met in uh, outside of Geneva at the YWAM base when I was teaching the Writers Intensive, and God just really. Uh, he's just so evident in the midst of you and, and surrounding you and, and your heart. And you, you can really, really see what, that there's been extreme transformation. But more than that, you can really see that you love Jesus. And I think that is after such trauma and the things that you've gone through, it's just such a beautiful story to share with listeners. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, you have no idea what a blessing you've been in my life too. That week in Switzerland was just felt like I was being wrapped in God's love during that time there. So you're just you're just an incredible blessing. And the, all the things you just mentioned about me is what I just felt palpably the presence of God um, in you and pour out of you there. So for me, and also because it's not easy being in a home where where you're the you're the believer and um, yeah, and my husband loves me, but that's that's hard. And being away in that week and just having God's love pour out over me and His kindness pour out over me and His encouragement and and a big thing, empowerment uh, was something I really felt during that week. Like you just saying, you know, in God we are powerful, and in God He uses all things for good and is just transforming us. And believe it, believe it, and step out in it. So for me, a lot of yeah, that that week was also empowerment to become more of who He has planned and. And, and destined me to become and it's yeah so thank you for that as well so well, if anybody's sweet. listening come <laughs> to her writer's intensive <laughs> it's not just for the writing it's just for yeah for faith in God and trust in God and just being empowered in who we are in Christ so yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna hopefully be doing one of those next year in Geneva again um, the guy that organizes that Richard is going to bring me back again. So that's really exciting. And I have another one here in the state. So it should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you for sharing your story. And I just know that people's lives are going to be changed as a result. So thank you so much. It was a real blessing. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, thank you for Anna's story. Thank you for being the hound of heaven and chasing after her. Thank you for her empathy. And thank you for the message that she gave that teaches us all the importance of being close to you and not to put up walls between us and you. Lord, um, for those parts of our lives when we go back, we look back on some of those traumas and those, those painful places. Instead of always falling back to, why did you let this happen, Lord? Help us to jump into something new, a new way of thinking of how have you sustained me through it and how can you make me better because of it? And you know, that only comes from your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we just welcome your Spirit to move in and through us as we try to heal from the past. You can take the most broken people and you can fix those broken places and make them stronger in the broken places. So I'm just so grateful for that. For those who are stressed today or they just have so much on their mind and they, they can't seem to get thoughts of the past out, I just pray for peace and blessing and just a, a, a time of solitude and hope and Lord that you would speak directly to my listeners today, that you would show them that you are aware, that you see, and that you are working even if it appears to be only behind the scenes. Give us hope today to know that you are at work. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and all the other information, uh, go to marydebuth.com forward slash restory 2-18. And may you live a brand new story this week. <laughs>